Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be with you. Little ones can be out this time if you'd like, or you can keep them with you. For the rest of us, it's a joy to get back together again and worship. It's a joy for me, for sure, and I don't just say that as a platitude to you. I look forward to our time of worship. It's enriching and a blessing and food for my soul to be with you and worship in our common faith and, and uh, honoring the Lord, for, and He is certainly worthy. We're doing today what the corporate body, with the corporate body, what we have been doing all week, digging into the Word, uh, looking unto it for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, right? That's what we dig into and into the Word for each week. So we're thoroughly equipped for every good work, and so as we're doing it each day, we look forward then to the time corporately where we get to do it and to be encouraged. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. He said, for you were formerly darkness. We remember that, don't we? It's easy to forget that, that we used to be in darkness. The longer that we're saved, the more we think that, hey, we're sufficient in ourselves, and we forget that apart from the Lord's goodness, there is no goodness in us. And His work in us is uh, the only thing that uh, creates anything in this life that is eternal. And so we were formerly in darkness, and Paul reminds the church, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. In verse 10, one of my favorite passages in Ephesians, trying to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. It's just very, very simple, isn't it, Christianity? It's not complex. Uh, it's trying to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. We know we were formerly in darkness, but now not only are we in the light, but we, Scripture says, are the light of Christ. And so we want to bear that fruit that's commensurate with being the light, and we come together to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. That's very, very simple. When we read the Bible each day of the week, we want to learn what's pleasing to the Lord and put that to work. We come together and worship today. We're trying to learn what's pleasing to the Lord. And it's just so simple that that's the title for our section, Success from God's Perspective. What does it look like to be pleasing to the Lord? Uh, he's not silent on it. Paul told Timothy what his life would look like if he could be labeled a good servant of Christ Jesus. What would it be? Constantly nourished on the words of faith and sound doctrine. And so, very, very straightforward and simple, and that's what we've been examining and what we'll look at this morning. So, I'd like to preserve our time today. Look with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse 14, and we're going to read those two, 14, 15, and 16, those three verses, and just read that from your open Bible. We'll be in a couple places today. We'll be in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and, and uh, in Romans as well, and then back here. So, he says this, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery, verse 15, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching, verse 16, persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Last time we were together in this last section of chapter 4, we've looked at success from God's uh, perspective is a ministry grounded in the Word of God. And we know that that's not subjective. It's subjective. God tells us what that's supposed to look like. And we saw that this simple sentence is pretty significant in, uh, in its defining of the major work that the pastor and those who teach are to do in the worship of the church. And that was principle number three in success from God's perspective as the faithful minister is to have a thoroughly biblical ministry. And we spent a lot of time there, and we won't go through all of that again, but we broke this sentence down because Paul spends a large amount of time talking about the Word and its major part in the ministry of the church. 
And, and we're just going to do a little review, as is our habit, uh, just the three things that Paul commands Timothy to give attention to. And it could be read really this way, until I come, Paul says, give your whole attention to the reading, the exhortation, and the teaching. Give your whole attention to those things. And it really embodies, as we think about that, everything that has to do with uh, the behind-the-scenes part. It assumes the commitment, it assumes the necessary preparation to the ministry of the Word of God. And the first thing that we saw was the public reading of Scripture. We saw that in the original it only says the reading, so this was part of the emphasis with many verses we looked at, and just means this, uh, the reading was a reading of Scripture with an exposition. That's what made up the teaching time of the church, a reading of the Scripture, and that dictated then what you were going to say to the church. Give your attention then to the reading means you're going to be very careful in the text you select, uh, you're going to be, uh, have a correctness in your exposition and a, cautious regard, a cautiousness regarding your preparation so that you're ready to deliver what you need to deliver. And we saw that this was definitely the case in the early church. Churches adopted the custom of the reading from the Old Testament, and then they combined that. We saw with readings from the apostles' letters and the gospels, and the reading then meant that the preaching that followed was secondary to and drew all of its content from what the reading was. And so the second emphasis that Paul commands for us, then if we think about the reading being the first thing, the second thing was the exhortation. And that was the noun that has, it means it's an entreaty, an admonition, or or correction, or comfort, or a relief. And and as we said, if, if the reading is what the word says, just reading it, and what it means by what it says, then the exhortation will be the application of the passage. This is the, this is the doing of it. This is walking out and saying, uh, I'm going to be conformed to this. My life is going to be that way. And, and we saw the overseer's job. If it's to be evaluated then as successful from God's perspective, if we're to see what's pleasing to the Lord, we have to see that this is the case. It's to understand then that the overseer has a thoroughly biblical ministry defined by this application to the hearts of those under your care, correctly informing the conscience. So that as they walk out, as the people under your care walk out, they'll have a correctly informed conscience as they come up against whatever the world might happen to uh, throw at them in that next few days. And, and you really want to make sure your people can walk out and, and make that connection. And, and each passage is enough in itself. And so whatever was important enough for the biblical writer to be carried along by the Holy Spirit to write, it's important enough for us to study. And I think that we would all generally agree with that, but I think that we find we think we need to supplement a whole lot of things in there, right? Because we don't really believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, but that's precisely what the Scripture says, everything for life and godliness. So if it's written, there's enough there for us to study, and God had a future audience in mind when he carried the writers along, so he doesn't need a modern pastor changing it up so it's relevant. That's adulterating the Word of God, and we want to avoid that. And so the passages in the New Testament were written to the church. We're still in the church age. He's got it. And so just set it before the people and try not to mess it up. All right? And that's my own motto, and it's the one I pass on to you. Set it before the people and try not to mess it up. Now, we came to verse 13. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and then this last one, the teaching. And, and we saw the official job really is, is instructing those who are in your charge. This is just the general term for always teaching. It's the source of all life. It's, it's, it's always a matter of teaching. And, and the example is to be seen in the overseer, but it's part of what everybody has to do. Titus chapter 1 verse 9 makes clear the source. Hold fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching. 
So in other words, what you're teaching everybody on a daily basis has to find its source and align with what the Word of God says. And then mark this, we have a previous command as well, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. So part of your teaching then is so that those you're responsible to teach will be able to identify and correct things that are wrong. And so when I teach doctrine to you, that's not the easiest thing to do, to explain these complex issues that come into the Word of God that have a bunch of underpinnings and foundations that we need to understand. But I do that so that when you go out in the world and you hear something about the gospel or you hear the work of the Holy Spirit, you'll know that's wrong if it is. And so part of the job of the teacher has to make sure that the people who hear him can identify truth and error because it's not all the same. Just because somebody believes it and is passionate about it doesn't make it true. It just makes them truly wrong and passionately wrong. And so you have to be able to determine that. And Titus 1.9, of course, makes that very clear. So the teaching has a really wide scope. Certainly one-on-one. It could certainly include counseling. It's definitely in small groups. You're always teaching. You're, you're going to start with your children, and then you're going to move out from there as the Lord gives you opportunity. Just sums up how you spend your life. Sources the Word of God, and whatever it is that you're talking about, you're weaving that truth and that wisdom into it. And we can certainly see the nature then as we think about that kind of teaching of spiritual instruction and how it begins to be eroded as it comes up against the world, and as it comes up against the flesh and spiritual warfare. It comes up against that all the time, and we're prone to forget things as well. And so there's always going to be a certain amount of repetitiveness in the ministry. And it's one of the reasons why I loop back around and catch some of the high points of a previous sermon. Why? So that whatever was eroded away, you can be reaffirmed with it by hearing it again. And that's not a foreign concept to the Word of God. Um, the, the writers many times will say, I, I know you know this, but I say it again to stir up your remembrance. In fact, just as an illustration to that, we didn't look at this last time, but 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 illustrates it very well. Here's what he says to the church. He says, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. So they are diligent, but what's he asking them to do? Be more diligent. Now, I'll let you read this at your own, your own time, but if you back up about 10 verses and start at the top there, it says, add to your faith, and then it begins to list things off volitionally that you're supposed to do on a regular basis. And you do those things, it says, in order that the entrance to the eternal kingdom will be abundantly supplied to you. It doesn't mean you're working your way there. It just means it gets rid of a lot of doubts. A lot of times throughout the course of my ministry, I've had people come to me with doubt. Now, doubt is not foreign to the Christian life. People have to work through all of this because it's by faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so it's, un- it's understandable that people struggle. But a lot of times I, I, when we get into the doubt thing, many times it has to do with the, with, with the, the, the course of life. So I'll go back to the time when they repented and believed. Did you repent and believe and make sure that that's an actual time that occurred? And then what is your li- what's your life entail now? Is self-control part of your life? You know, are things that are honorable? Have you excluded things that are uh, not honorable? Are, are, you, are you ordering your life in such a way as the Scripture describes? Because what Peter does kind of captures these themes throughout the Word of God and has is make sure you're adding these things to your, your walk with the Lord. Because when you do that, he says, that's going to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. A lot of doubts are alleviated when you begin to make sure your life is under the authority of the Word of God and doing what he says. He says, for as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. For, verse 11, in this way, the entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Now, here's the reason why I picked the passage. Therefore, I will always be ready, what's he say? 
to remind you of these things. So has he said it before? Without a doubt. Is he saying it again? Yes. And if he lives long enough, he says, I'm going to say it more. Even though he says you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Because you're born again, you know these things, they're basic doctrinal things that you need to know and and actions that need to be part of your life. You already know them, you've been established in the truth, you're born again, but I'm going to present these to you again. Verse 13, and I consider it right, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. Are they going to hear it from him again? Most likely. Why? Because they're the elements that make sure that that way is clear and that you don't have any doubts about who you belong to. So in other words, maybe you've never heard this before. Now you have. Maybe you heard it and you agreed with it, but you never started doing it. Or maybe you heard it and you did it for a while, but you stopped. Or maybe you've been faithful all along since you heard it. Anyway, start doing it, start doing it again, keep doing it. Whatever the situation may be, I'm reminding you to do it. And so this is, uh, in essence, part of teaching is reminding and reiterating things. So Scripture gives a good example of really the relentlessness with which we pursue teaching. So Paul commands this pastor and his son in the faith and everyone else who rises to the office. So he says, until I come, give attention to the reading, to the exhortation, and to the teaching. That's not some sideline affair. I think you can see that. But it's the very core of what goes on in the church. It's the very foundation for worship. Without it, no true worship is going on. Now let's take a second look. Because you can't really worship the Lord in song if you don't understand who he is theologically. Can you? Can you, can you embrace the Holy Spirit and tell Him thank you about all that He does if you don't know what He does? So these are key things, key issues in the church. Foundation for worship. Now look at verse 14 if you would. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. And we saw that the essence of the passage is this. And this was principle number four, success from God's perspective for the faithful minister That's going to be a ministry done according to spiritual gifting. Now, this is sound instruction to a minister who is struggling with identity or purpose or motivation or self-consciousness or or a pressure of expectations from the church or, or, or following or watching someone else do it and then thinking you've got to function in their gift set. There can certainly be an inward struggle and some uncertainty. And as I mentioned in first service, and perhaps it's this, throwing your whole weight against the ministry, trying to do it physically. You're giving everything you've got, physically move the ministry. You remember the Apostle Paul and his frustration with with the church in Corinthians, at Corinth? He said that he couldn't do anything else. There wasn't any other thing he could do to move the church in the right direction. He'd given them all the instruction they needed, and he'd worn himself out in doing it. He just trusted the Lord to move the church in the right direction. He'd sent Timothy to reaffirm some of the things he'd said. So you can be that part too. It can be you're doing this physically, and you're worn out, and you're burned out, and you're ready to quit. But Paul says, listen, Timothy, success from God's perspective is ministry done according to spiritual gifting. Now, as I told you last week, there's a lot we could say about this, about spiritual gifts. But we've studied them numerous times because we work our way verse by verse, and we've worked our way through Romans, and we've worked our way through 1 Corinthians, and has a lot to do with spiritual gifting. And so our texts have taken us through them. And, and also we look at them in the Be the Church class, And although there is a lot of overlap, I I didn't think, as I prayed about this, I didn't think we needed to go through all of that teaching again. Uh, Gifts that are active today in the church, gifts that are not active today in the church, all of that. We've gone through that, and we'll go through it again, but it's been a little while. But right now, we're dealing with spiritual gifting in the office of overseer, but just in general, uh, the vital nature of 
functioning in spiritual gifting. And so we're going to just take the next two Sundays, we're going to look at this in relation to a general context. First, we're going to look at spiritual gifting. That's what we're going to do today. Just how the, spirit, how the Lord equips people in spiritual gifting and what that's going to look like. And there's some great places where we can look. And, and then we're going to look at the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, which is confusing to some people. How does that work? And is that still the case now? So we're going to, that, I think those two things will clear the passage up and make it uh, understandable to us what Paul's trying to get across. Because there's some foundational issues that Paul is referring to as he talks to Timothy, as he talks to spiritual gifting, that the church had already in place because Paul had pastored there and Timothy was now pastoring there. But we want to make sure the modern church knows this too. And so that's what we're going to do. So Paul starts this way. He says, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. Now, just as we think about that, we're, Timothy is, a, is likely where a lot of people in ministry have been or are now, and that's ready to quit. And, and it can be for a number of reasons. And whether he has stated the intent that he's going to quit we know that he's pretty much stated that he wanted to leave, and so in some ways it's very similar, but Paul, maybe he's carried along to address something the Holy Spirit has impressed on Paul to make sure he addresses with Timothy. Maybe Timothy is close to quitting, and so we get this warning to him, which overflows to everyone, and it appears that, 2 Timothy 1, 2, just the beginning of this second letter, Paul says this. I think we can get a snapshot, perhaps, of how Timothy is thinking in this, and we won't go through this at length because we'll be here in a few months, but in 2 Timothy he says in verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 2, he says, To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. Verse 5, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt with your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. Stop right there. Just to, briefly, a couple things I think that we can notice from this as we think about Timothy and his discouragement. First of all, Paul's praying for Timothy. He's praying for grace and mercy and peace. What a wonderful thing to pray for someone, praying grace, mercy, and peace to them. And you can see even in turmoil uh, that Paul's praying this, but perhaps just whatever life throws, praying, praying for grace and mercy and peace and that Timothy's going to serve with a clear conscience like those who've come before. Paul says, I did that. I know you have that heritage. And we've looked at Timothy's heritage. And Paul wants to see him. He says, I long to see you. And Paul remembers Timothy's tears. Perhaps when Paul departed, perhaps uh, ongoing in the frustration of the ministry. Timothy's in a difficult time, a difficult ministry. He's in a hostile environment. The Ephesian church has defected doctrinally. They had defected in conduct in the church, which is why we have the conduct listed and how it's supposed to go. They were both immoral and they were in error in theology. They were a formidable bunch of foes, no question. And so uh, people didn't want to hear what he says. People, Tim, Timothy's in a place where it's very, very difficult and a struggle. You can imagine yourself as, as an overseer in that kind of situation. Many pastors endure that on a regular basis. And so the pressure is on him and it's heavy. And we know from history what eventually happened to this church. So if, if you look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, you remember here in Revelation 2 and 3, we have the seven churches in Asia Minor. And what we have is it's written to the church age. It's the modern, it's what is, and it's part of a Revelation outline, what was, what is, and what is to come. That's Revelation outlined for us at the beginning. And this is what is. We're still in the church age. 
And so these seven churches represent the churches at large all throughout the world, all throughout the ages. You still see these kinds of things and the warnings that come along with them. But here it's specifically addressed to the church in Ephesus. And we know that it is, there is a church there and it's directed to them, so it means something to them. And he says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false. And you see much of what Paul has been encouraging Timothy to do in the church. You see perseverance, you see toil, you see putting out evil men, you see putting to test false teachers and throwing them out. All all the things that Paul has encouraged Timothy to do, you see that's the case. And you see them actually being successful early on doing that. In verse 3 it says, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. They've worked hard. You haven't grown weary. So he starts with a lot of positives. You started really strong, and that's not surprising, is it? A Pauline church planted there in Ephesus. They had solid teaching from him, and so they have a lot to go on, and so they started very strong. Verse 4, but I have this against you, that you've left your first love, love for Christ, love for his word, for the conduct in his church. They'd started strong, but we already see the seeds of those kinds of things that Timothy's dealing with, don't we? We see the, the loss of the first love, and that's a significant loss. Here's how bad it is. Verse 5, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Twice, repent. Is it important to stick with what the Lord has said is supposed to go on in the church? Apparently so important that if they don't do it, he's going to come and take away the lampstand which means the church no longer has any guidance from the Holy Spirit, and it just disbands. We see that happening on a regular basis around our country and around the world, don't we? Some denominations more than others. What's happened? You departed from your first love. You've embraced wickedness. Instead of teaching the Word, you're teaching the, the, the doctrines of men. All kinds of things can cause a church to, to have the lampstand taken away. But here, it's talking about the church at Ephesus. And we know for sure that the church at Ephesus disbanded. It no longer existed At the end of the first century, it pretty much was done. So here, get this, they didn't repent. Even after John reiterated a message from Jesus himself to the church, not just Paul to Timothy to the church, not just Paul to the church at Ephesus in in the letter of Ephesians, this is Jesus talking to John, write to the church, tell them this. You'd think if Jesus said it, it might carry more weight, but apparently not. Timothy ended up being martyred there, and so all of Timothy's efforts were fairly short-lived. But during Timothy's tenure there, it was difficult, as you can see. And and Timothy said, I don't need this. I can't handle this. This isn't going anywhere. They're not listening to me. And so we can see Paul trying to strengthen him and remind him of the real power that is in him. So he says, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. And that do not neglect, compound Greek verb, amel eo, present active voice. And what mood do you think it is? Imperative. Just like the long list of commands to Timothy about what to do in the church, this falls right in. It's in the imperative. It's a command. And mello is to care about with a negative particle. So the idea is don't be careless about your gift. Don't make light of it. Don't disregard it. Don't think there's no power there. Don't neglect it. It is going to be the key for Timothy. 
and all the things Paul's instructed Timothy to do, he can't physically slam himself against the church and somehow make a difference. He can't shout loud enough. He can't work long enough. He can't preach long enough if the spiritual gifts aren't active. If he thinks he can do it on his own. So this is where the power to do what you don't think you can do is going to come from. That's the whole point of the command. So Paul, in essence, says, Timothy, God chose you for this ministry. He gave you the desire, and he gifted you to do it. So don't forget that and don't disregard it. Then it says, don't neglect the, and it uses the word spiritual gift, charismatos. That's the grace gift we've seen. It's all through the New Testament. Every believer has given a gift, simply a means, as we said last time, a channel by which the Spirit of God ministers through you to others, and they are given sovereignly from the Lord. Spirit of God gives those gifts to us as He sovereignly designs them. Now, I think the first misnomer for spiritual gifts is that you think it's just one. So maybe the gift of administration, or maybe it's the gift of mercy showing, or gift of giving, or helps, or whatever. And I, that's, that's not the idea. When you say you've been given a gift, we're thinking, okay, now pick from those lists. That's not the issue. I think that, uh, and I'll illustrate a couple ways, but I think one of the good ways to do it, because it's almost that time, how many have filled out a Samaritan's purse box? Okay. So you're given a list of things that you should put in there, remember? But who chooses what goes in there? You do, right? So once it's all packed, what do you do? You wrap it up, and then it becomes a, it's a gift, but it has a bunch of different things in there, right? That's the, that's the idea with spiritual gifting, okay? That's the idea. We have, as we've seen, the church is like a body, every part of the body, like a human body, has a function. Everybody fits into the body, and we all have gifts. They blend together to make a, a body that can properly grow and nourish and reach each other, and that's the issue. And there's a great passage. I want you to turn here. It's your first stop, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you were with us, it's about six years ago we went through this. It's been a little while. But um, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I think this is going to be really good for you to see this and to kind of put your hands on it and your eyes on it as opposed to me feeding it to you from the screen. We're going to pick up in verse 4. And, and this reminds us that God has equipped each person differently. And it, it really gives us a kind of a, a picture of how this is supposed to work and how it does work in the church. Verse 4 it says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, see where we are, but the same Spirit. Verse 5, And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Verse 6, There are varieties of effects, but the same God. Who works all things in all persons, verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, let's look quickly back to verse 1. Back up, if you were just three verses up to verse 1. At the very beginning of that chapter, chapter 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. So, we already see the purpose of the writing. What is it? Paul wants the church to know about the issues concerning things related to spiritual gifting. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand the subject. And we're not going to look at this today. We did at length when we went through this, uh, this book. But the first thing he does in the next two verses is give them a couple of principles that will help them test to clarify whether a person is exercising spiritual gifts. And that was important in this Corinthian church because they had it all wrong. Uh, they had this manifestation of, of tongues which weren't tongues at all. They had people that were supposedly practicing spiritual gifts and were supposedly gifted but weren't gifted. And so there's some questions he asks, some testing that's going to need to be done, and you can figure out whether somebody actually is controlled by the Holy Spirit or not. But we won't look at that. You can read that on your own time. Then he gets to verses 4 through 7, which is where we're going to concern ourselves, and we're going to see that the gifts 
ministries and effects are all different. That's the first thing we're going to see. Look back at verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, there are varieties of ministries, and there are varieties of, of effects. So that's very broad, right? All different, all different things going on, all different gifts given to people, all different uh, varieties of ministries as it's related to the gifts, and all different varieties of effects from those ministries. So that's not surprising to us, is it? If, if, it's, very, it's, if it's varied, then there's going to be a wide, broad thing. And then the second thing we're going to see is, is that there's unity. There are varieties of gifts with the same spirit, varieties of ministries with the same Lord, varieties of effects with the same God. Each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So there's unity in who the giver and in a wide variety to meet the needs of the church. That's what we're going to see. Now, that's really principle number one, and we can see that relating to the gift of the Spirit. In the church, there is unity within the will of the Spirit and the Lord and God and diversity within the varieties of gifts and varieties of ministries and varieties of effects. Now, let's explain that a little bit, and we're going to pull that back to Timothy. This is the underpinning that he knows, Timothy knows, that the church in Ephesus knows, but he's going to bring this in, and we can know this now and understand how this is working. So verse 4 says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Diaeresis, varieties, compound Greek noun, takes in both distribution and it takes in diversity. So the idea is this, there is a wide range of combinations of gifts that have been distributed, and then we're going to see later a wide range of ministries and a wide range of outcomes, same word each time. And that gift is charismaton, that, that is referring to the grace gift again, and here it's in the plural. There's lots of gifts given to lots of people, a, a channel through which the Spirit of God ministers through you to other people. When you when we look at gift, think about that, because that's always how it's applied. There's a wide range of abilities distributed among believers. How many abilities? Well, maybe 12, maybe 15, maybe 16, maybe more. None of the lists is exhaustive. There are some overlap and some independence. But, and we could list them off, uh, certainly the ones mentioned here in Romans 12 and 1 Peter 4. But I don't think the issue is here is to indicate every spiritual gift. I think the issue here is here uh, to emphasize the wide range of combinations that have been distributed. So we'll just kind of focus on that, the idea Every one of us has one gift, of course, and we understand that gift is like that package where there's a lot of things in there in different proportions. And that gift is the blending of all these areas that the Spirit puts together and gives us. And another illustration I think can help us, it could be like a painter, maybe has 10, 10 colors on a palette, wants to paint a picture. He can paint really an infinite number of colors on his palette with only 10 different colors because he mixes and blends together. And that's the idea here. That's the one I think Paul is referring to with Timothy. And the illustration is imperfect, but the idea is that the Holy Spirit blends perhaps a little of this gift and a little of that gift, maybe a little more of something else, and equips you in the way that he wants to equip you. And with that perfect combinations so you fit into the body to do what you and no one else can do. And of course, Timothy had what the church in Ephesus needed, so Paul reminds him, don't disregard the very things that are going to make you effective. The very things God has pushed in you, called you to the church to give. Now, that idea is illustrated in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. So here's our second stop, Romans chapter 12. Look there if you would. Romans chapter 12, 
and verse 3, and where he presents spiritual gifts, really the same basic format. It gives us a more rich understanding in some of the areas, but again, helps us to understand what Paul is telling Timothy to do, and then, of course, everyone, because there's just one standard, isn't there? Don't neglect the spiritual gift within you. He tells Timothy to function inside your spiritual gifts. That's the same thing you and I have to do. And so, Romans chapter 12, verse 3, as he talks about spiritual gifts, he talks to the church and he says, verse 3, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Verse 4, for just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, verse 5, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Stop right there. So you can see he's making this illustration now as he talks about spiritual gifts. He's talking about a physical body. We all understand the physical body. We understand the different functions that are part of our physical body that all work together to do what we have to do. And then he immediately makes that application to the church. He goes, the church is the same way. You're all part of a body, the church, and you've all been equipped differently to function as a whole. That's the illustration. So keep that in your mind then as we think about the different parts of this. This is what the idea is, okay? Now look at last part of verse 3. As God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Now, I think um, what we've got going here is... It's not saving faith. That's, that's not the context of the verse. Uh, this is the faith God gives, mark this, to operate the spiritual gift he bestows. And this is important for Paul to say to the church. They're not misusing the gifts. Perhaps they're not using them. The first thing you have to know is that you've been equipped, right? Once you know that, then you have to put it to work. Because a lot of people think, I, I, I can't possibly serve here. There's nothing really I can do. I don't know how to, I mean, these things that they're doing, I don't know how to do. And, and how do, I mean, where can I be plugged in? So they walk out thinking, I must not have been gifted. Paul wants to make sure, both to the Corinthian church and to the church in Rome, that everybody has a gift. And then he's, the Lord has given a measure of faith that has to come into play. As soon as you understand the truth, then what? You see it from the Word of God. You may not believe it in your heart yet, but you see it there. Then you're like, okay, Lord, I believe by faith that you have given me, you've equipped me to be here at this church and to be plugged in with spiritual gifts that only I can bring. And so I'm going to start acting on that faith. And so this is the issue that's going on here. So a wide range of combination of gifts that have been distributed. That, that, that's, that's what Paul said to the church in Corinth. God has allotted to each a measure of faith. That's what he says here in Rome, Rome to the Romans. And he says, listen, these are to operate the spiritual gift he bestows. And Romans 12, 3 really clarifies. It says that you have the amount of faith you need, here it is, to be active in your spiritual gift, and the variety of the gift will be unique to you. It's allotted to each one. And so just like the function of the body, where every part of your body is different, functions differently, this is the same way. And we have the same understanding. There is a wide range of combinations. Uh, you may have ser- similar spiritual gifting as another person, but God has, m- uh, much as, as, your, as your gift to Samaritan's purse might be similar, uh, mine and Bill's might be similar to one another, but not exactly the same, see? But God has dispensed to you the faith to operate your spiritual gift inside the unique church body where he has placed you, operating inside the unique character and personality being made in the image of Christ, of course, that is you. 
And so he calls Timothy back to the same thing. God has picked you and called you and placed you here, and you have everything you need to operate as long as you do it inside this measure of faith and the gifting that he has custom designed just for you for this church at this time. Now, we understand that this is looking, of course, forward to gifts given by God, but Romans 12, 6 confirms that God gives spiritual gifts to each believer in his own sovereignty, and so if God gives them out, then no gift should be unused because they are given by God to advance his kingdom and to bring glory to his name. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 uh, says it this way, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, I love this, just as he wills, custom designed by the God of all the universe to fit perfectly in the church and minister just like a part of a body ministers to the rest of the body. If that doesn't make you overwhelmed with joy, I don't know what, I don't know what will work. God custom designed you to work inside the church, to be fit with this body, to benefit other people, to be a channel whereby other people could be blessed. So God is accomplishing his own purposes in the church through the giving of gifts from the Holy Spirit. He's custom designed it for the church to do something, and he's given all the gifts that they need to do it. And if that's the case, and it is, then Paul says specifically here in Romans chapter 12, verse 6, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. So every gift that is there is there because he placed it there. And every gift that is there is there because it's pleasing to God to do it. And if it's there to be used by God then to minister to the body of believers, to be a channel of blessing where he uses you to be a blessing to someone else. So if we understand then that God is the author and we're dependent, and he doesn't look at what is visible the same way that we do, and from the other side, when we see that God is the giver of the gifts and faith is the measure, we're going to not deny our own gifts either. And that's the call that Paul has to Timothy. We said a moment ago, it's illustrated with the physical body. Verse 4 says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, you're, you're one physical body with many members, individual, unique gifts that sums it up with specific ministries to people that God has intended you to minister to. That's how you can put it into play. That's the summed up, this complex nature of what God has done in His own sovereignty and by His own will and for His own purposes in you. If you're born again, if you come to repentant faith, you've been equipped to serve and to be a blessing to other people. And you can see what that looks like. In verse 5 it says, so we who are many are one body in Christ. He's custom designed you to fit and do a, carry out a certain function just like the body. And beloved, if you think about that and realize this body, the church, is the most diverse body of people on the face of the planet. The Lord calls whom he calls, and so there are people who are sitting beside you you'd never be friends with, you'd never cross paths with, you probably wouldn't even like some of them if the Lord hadn't called them, but now you're called to love them. And so you realize the Lord in his sovereignty, realizing it's a big, diverse group of people with all kinds of backgrounds, he's called them in, and, and they've repented and come to faith, and now he's equipped them, because if, if we don't function inside our spiritual gift set with the faith that the Lord supplies, the body can get unhealthy fairly quickly. Anemic, powerless, lazy, hurting, lackadaisical. If I don't function inside my gift set, you're not fed. 
If you're a teacher, you're not functioning inside your gift set to discharge the word of God as we see it here through the gifting that you've given, then they're not going to be fed either and equipped for the things they need to do. And if you're not mercy showing and if you're not, you're not helping, then all those things are missing, you see? And the church gets, fun, gets focused on things that don't matter instead of giving them life away for something that does. There's unity there in the body. Diversity of gifts, but one God. And we're going to see that again in 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 5 says again, it says, individually members of one another. So we're all connected in a spiritual body, working together, just like the individual members of a human body work together. And so we share a common life and a common head, which is Christ. We share common resources, and, and, and that's the Holy Spirit. And we share a common ministry, and the body systems have that unity, and we have that unity. And we had that interaction with one another, a codependence, an interdependence on one another, just like your body does. And, and beloved, let me, let me tell you this. This is hard for me to say, probably hard for you to hear. But in our self-absorbed consumer society, it can be really hard to make that switch in your thinking. What do I mean by that? I mean the number one question typically that's asked by a new church family is, what can the church offer our family? May I propose to you that that is foreign to the New Testament. What you should be asking is, is this a place where we can plug in our spiritual gifts and minister to someone else? And what a change that would be if we got away from, I'm going to go over here for hamburgers and I'm going here here for steak and then I want some chicken, right? We're just kind of popping around and see if that fits us. The church wasn't made to be that way. It's not consumer driven. That's foreign to the New Testament. It's hard to switch thinking though. Because we're in a consumer-driven society. And everything's attracted. We're attracted to things because of its marketing and how it looks and what we think it'll do for us. That's not how the church is designed. The church is designed for those who are born again to come and find a place to minister to someone else in their gift set. So when you come to a new church, first thing you need to ask, if, are they teaching? Are they doing the reading? So is the message driven by the passage? As their exhortation to bind it to your conscience and make the decision, I'll do this from now on, or I understand this now, and I can see clearly what's true and what's false. And then overall, the general teaching that goes on, it's always centered on the Word of God. That's your first question. If your leadership isn't in place that's doing that, don't stay. But if the leadership is in place, or you're going to be equipped for every good work and for life and godliness, then the next question is, where can I plug in? Where can I plug in? Because we are all diverse, uniquely made for a specific ministry, equipped for the measure of faith necessary to animate those gifts. And they were given to minister to one another, to create a community, a body which is interdependent, concerned about each other's well-being. That leads us into verse 6 of chapter 12. Let's revisit it. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And, and we understand that principle because we looked at, at verse 3, right? God allotted to each a measure of faith. So Paul is springing off that illustration of the physical body and how interconnected we are, and he gets to the practical application of serving through spiritual gifts. I'll look again at verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, and, and, and it affirms that we do have them, since we have gifts, same word, grace gift, God empowers every believer Custom designed for every Christian, a palette mixed in a certain way just to fit you, but always for the common good. 
So Paul moves into the gifts that allow us to serve one another. He's going to give some examples of gifts for the ongoing life of the church. And, and I'm just going to read the gifts, and we're going to come back uh, at some point to 1 Corinthians 12. But the Romans list isn't exhaustive. It, it contains a number of examples of proper serving. But remember, Paul doesn't have to correct the Roman church like he did the Corinthian church. Uh, and, and who were misusing and counterfeiting sign gifts and all of that. And he doesn't even mention sign gifts here. I think you can notice that because... This letter was written later in his life as the sign gifts were passing away and ceasing. But he mentions, he says, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, lending, uh, leading, mercy, and, show, and mercy showing. And, and we're going to see that we can really split these ongoing gifts into two categories. And this kind of helps us see this painting God may have painted for Timothy with just a few of these listed, prophecy, teaching, exhortation, and leading. So if you divide the list into two categories, which we can do in 1 Timothy 4, you can do this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you can have speaking gifts and you have serving gifts. And there's a mixture of those things. Now back, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to wrap up. You're going to see much the same language. He says this in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts for the same spirit. So that just follows a wide range of combination of gifts distributed among believers there will be then, if that's the case, verse 5, varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And again, we see that word variety, same word. Just like the gifts, there's a wide range of combinations of ministries that are happening. That's not surprising, right? Because the Lord mixed this palette just for you. And now the ministry that you do is going to be a little bit different than the ministry someone else does. And that's not surprising. And that word ministry is a word we know, diakonia. It's where we get our word for the office of deacon. If someone who serves, it's someone who serves particularly a table waiter, that's what that refers to. So a wide variety of combinations of gifts, unique in the combination, which is as diverse and distinctive as the gift of God's grace and the measure of faith we saw in Romans 12. God gives to each believer to accomplish the ministry of the Spirit in his church. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18 says it this way, but now God has placed the members, each of them in the body, just as he desired. God, in his sovereignty and for his own purposes and according to his own will, have placed believers in a local body so that, mark this, in their uniqueness, they could serve the assembly. And so Paul's calling Timothy back to the same understanding. He says, Timothy, come back. You, you were custom made by the Lord to be placed here in this assembly and to work inside your spiritual gifts, which obviously Timothy was not doing. Don't neglect it, he said. You're just throwing yourself against it physically. You're not going to change anything. Work inside your spiritual gifts. Teach the Word. And just as a footnote, even we could add the diversity and later the effect of these ministries are affected by the level at which each believer is using the measure of faith God has given to use their gifts, right? You may be gifted, but you may not believe that you are. You may not be acting on it. Because there's actions that follow your belief, right? It's getting plugged in, finding a place where you can minister. So then verse 6 again just follows. If there is a wide variety of gifts that have been dispersed, because each believer is unique and has been granted gifts from the Holy Spirit and a measure of faith unique to them in God's sovereignty to use the gift, then obviously there should be a wide variety of ministries going on. Right? I mean, if we're custom-designed the Holy Spirit has given the gifts to His people to see the assembly just as He's allotted them, and that's exactly what we see in the church. 
That's exactly what we see when people are functioning in the church in spiritual gifting. We see people being blessed, people being encouraged. It would follow then, because of the unique combination of gifts, wide variety, and faith, and ministry, there are a variety of what? Effects. So the outcome is going to be different, isn't it? In whatever ministry you've plugged yourself into, the effects, Greek noun, energema, that's the outworking of the ministry, uh, from, from a division of gifts and the variety of ministries, there's going to be a product produced. That's what that means. What's the product produced? Well, it's going to be varied. For Timothy, the exercise would include reading, exhortation, and teaching, animated by the gifts of teaching, right, and animated by discernment and, and knowledge and all the things that he's mixed into Timothy's gift set to, to serve as a, a pastor. What's the end result? Love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. You see, that, that Paul said that is our goal for the church, love from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. So the gift set, custom designed for the church in, in Ephesus, Timothy working inside his gift set produces the things that are to be produced. It's the products produced from the investment, a wide range of outcomes from the gifts and the ministries that are happening. Some may be obvious from the start, some may be revealed later. I certainly can see that in the lives of many minister, uh, uh, missionaries that have gone to the field. If you've read any of their stories, you realize some of them labored their whole life and saw very few converts, but in their work, they started this whole thing by the power of the Holy Spirit, which just exploded for the next person who came along. So it may follow along after. It may there be at the beginning. It may be smaller by appearance, maybe because the measure of faith has not been applied. Or maybe not. Maybe it just that's what the Lord's doing right now. Maybe it's larger by appearance, maybe because the full measure of faith has been applied. Maybe not. Maybe that's just what the Lord's doing right now. All these varied distributions of gifts, all these varied ministries, because of the unique gifts, produce all kinds of different results from the ongoing ministries, but we can't judge all of that from appearances and personal preferences and pride. That's all excluded because we don't do anything. It's the Lord at work through us as we're, as we're willing. Paul says there are varieties of effects, so all this diversity, but the same God who marked this works all things and all persons. Energon works as the word energon, where we get our word energy. The idea, the literal translation is God energizes all of it. God energizes all of it. All that's going on through the activity of the Spirit in the church is energized by God. He, he isn't wasting his empowerment, and Paul is calling Timothy back to this. These are the underpinnings that the church knew. This is what Timothy understood, where Paul could say it without explaining it to him. It's what the modern church needs to know. Move us away from consumerism. And, and as we said at the beginning of the section, it's the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God, all energizing all of this. On the other hand, varieties, varieties, varieties. One will is built into the church, unity, and in that unity, diversity of the ministry. Now, verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. That's principle number two. Functioning spiritual gifts make the Holy Spirit's presence in the church clear. That's the Greek noun, phanerosis. That's the word revelation. People functioning in their spiritual gifts make the Holy Spirit obvious in the church. Gifts of the Holy Spirit are energized by God, and when they are functioning... They make the Holy Spirit known. When all the parts of your body, your physical body, are working as they should, you can accomplish a lot of things you need to accomplish. When things start to malfunction, you start having some trouble doing the things you need to do. 
It's the same thing. And there's gaps in every church, just like there's gaps here at Berean. There's gaps because maybe some people who are here who have the gifting to do those things we should be doing aren't doing them. So we're not doing them. And maybe there's gaps here because he's, brought, he's bringing people in to fill them. People who are not asking, what can the church do for me? It's how can I plug my spiritual gifts in and minister to someone else? And that word phanerosis is something that was hidden that's now revealed. Functioning spiritual gifts. Holy Spirit was hidden before, but now obvious. And then this last part, part uh, principle number three, for the common good, the gifts of the Spirit are not for you. Whatever the gift is, it wasn't given so that the believer with the gift could be exalted or glorified. It wasn't given to draw attention to you. The revealing of gifts in the life of the believer is for the advantage of the church so the church will have what it needs. So the church can meet the needs that come up because God is all and in all. and He's distributed these gifts according to his will and he's given the faith as we saw in Romans along with the gifts so that it could be applied he loves the church. He's equipped it by the Holy Spirit to be and do all she needs to be and do. And she can express his will and unity best in the diversity of the gifts. And I think you can see a great illustration of all of that working together almost every time there's a playoff game in any sport. Right? I mean, think about World Cup play. I mean, typically uh, the interviewer will go and interview a franchise player and and ask, you know, what's the key to your success to get to this point, and what will be the key to this upcoming match, right? The same thing in World Series play, same thing in football playoffs. What's the key? How'd you get here? How are you going to go further than this? And the interviewer will say, you know, the, the franchise player will probably say, well, the team's really unified. You hear that a lot. Maybe the interviewer will say, you know, what do you mean? Could you give us an example of being unified? And maybe the franchise player will say, well, everyone's going to play striker. Is that what he's going to say? We've all decided to play center mid. That's going to be the key. Football. We're all playing offense. Offense is the key. No defense. Everybody's on offense. Is that what he's going to say? Everybody's going to be keeper today. That's going to be our key to win. No. The unity he's speaking of is what? Best express when all 11 are doing their job for the common goal of winning. When everybody takes their job seriously, whatever their equipping is, whatever their understanding is, and they're given their all in whatever area it is that they're doing it, and everybody's doing that together, that's unity, right? A diversity of gifts working together for a common goal. I think that's the point of Ephesians 4.16, wouldn't you say? I mean, um, it's just a, just a really clear passage, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. So you have all the joints supplied, you know, the connecting tissue, everything that's needed, and then what? Everybody has to do what they're supposed to do. They have to work properly. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So the gifts are not given for rivalry. They're not given for jealousy, but for the common good. That's the point of all of it. Spiritual gifts are always given to be used. I'd be used in such a way as to edify the whole body of believers, not some individual possessor of a gift. So when Paul says what he says here in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is just reiterating the general principles that God is at work in his church through the spirit of the risen Christ. And each of these very gifts, ministries, outcomes, reveal a single purpose of the Lord, and that is the unity of his church. And when all the various things that can be going on through the gifts of the Spirit are going on through the gifts of the Spirit, the church doesn't lack for anything.
So what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.14, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you. And when we see how foundational the role of the Spirit is to the healthy church, it makes sense that Paul would say, don't disregard the equipping of the Holy Spirit. You have a vital role to play, Timothy, as does the whole church. No one's sitting this one out. The real power that of what needs to be done won't find its source in a physical effort, throwing yourself at it harder and harder. It's going to be a supernatural source, working a beautiful painting of giftings, a gift put together specifically where it is needed. May that Lord add blessing to you and understanding of his word today. Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer. Lord, we thank you today for the joy of being together. You said at the beginning, it really is a joy to worship together, to be of one mind and a common goal. Father, I pray as we think about spiritual gifting, and however you bring that to bear on each one of us, perhaps it's because we haven't been doing it. Maybe we heard it before but never started it. Maybe we started it but then we didn't keep going. Or maybe we've been going all along. Whatever it is, Lord, we're reiterating this because it's so vital to the proper working of the church. People find a place where they can serve one another, just in simple ways. And I pray that you'll impress that on our own heart. Whatever, whatever the, the application of the passage needs to be, a reminder, though, as Paul didn't go through all the in-depth things we just did, but he understood that, Paul, uh, that Timothy understood what he was saying. And the church understood too. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the joy of uh, you making yourself clear more and more in the days as we wait for your son to come. See the ministry of people who love you and know that they've been gifted by you specifically to be a blessing to someone else in the church. And we give you praise for all of that. And all God's people said.